0: You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now for today's sermon.
1: It is just so good to have Sarah Peters on staff now, isn't it? Church is leading us in a beautiful time of worship. Absolutely outstanding. Again, a little bit of her background as she comes from the, uh, the Bridge Church. And I just, I can't thank my friend Mark Kasten, the lead pastor over at the Bridge Church in Hamburg, enough. You know, he, he's just such an outstanding leader. Whenever I called him because we had received uh, 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 Sarah's resume, and whenever I saw that, that she was from the Bridge Church, I just kind of sat there and I thought, oh my goodness, that's, that's my friend over there. I, I don't want to poach his sheep but here we go. No, that's... <laughs> so I called Pastor Mark and I said, hey man, I, I've, I've, I've got some bad news. Your, your church is about to shrink. Um, I asked his permission. I said, pastor, I, I don't, in all seriousness, I, I don't want to steal sheep. And you have to understand that as a pastor, Whenever there's individuals who transition out of your church for whatever reasons, you know, you hope and pray that it's just a a job relocation, of course, that there's no, you know, hard feelings or anything like that, but regardless, even whenever somebody transitions out of the church for the right reasons, it still, man, it still hits because you just you love those people. Pat, you know, I, I love you, and we call you know the church the family for a reason. And and I said, I'm I'm sorry to do that do that to you, Pastor Mark. But do do I have your permission to interview? And I love that man's response. He stopped and said, Pastor, who am I to stand in the way of the will of God? And I'm telling you, church, I've been in full-time ministry now for around 10 years plus, and I've grown up in ministry as a pastor's kid, and I can count on one hand how many times that a pastor has responded with that kind of heart, and I'm so honored to call Pastor Mark Friend, but again, Peter's family, it's just such an honor to have you here. Love you guys, and it is just so good to have you with us. One more time, can you give it up for just the Peter's family, Sarah and Josh? Scare Bear, Gary, you have an announcement this morning.
2: Yes. Good morning, C3. Good morning. You know, this is going to be like the last time I get to say that to you. Another teaser. So I, I have a little bit of an announcement. Um, Donnie, would you do me a favor and stick your fingers in your ears? And go, no, 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 no. no. Okay. So, a couple weeks ago, Dennis made an announcement that this October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And there is a box out in the lobby for cards. What we would like you to do is fill out a card expressing some way that Donnie's ministry has touched your life, Um, maybe a sermon that impacted you in a profound way, something that he's done for you, Um, just some encouragement. And appreciation for for all that he has meant to you personally I know that would be a great encouragement to him I was I did some uh, a little bit of snooping about this in particular <laughs> this uh, not in his life actually and in, in, uh, the whole thing with ministry in particular so I don't know if you're aware of this, like 4,500 churches actually close each year. 1,500 pastors and ministers drop out of the ministry every month. 50% of all pastors deal with depression on some level. Why is that? Because there's a tremendous amount of stress. You know, their job is not really like most jobs. I know we all have stresses in our lives. Jobs, you know, they are what they are. But his job, he's on call 24-7. We call him up when there's a fight in our marriage, when there's some kind of a, a failure, when there's uh, an addiction that we're dealing with. You know, whatever. we lose our job, whatever it is, we call him and say, hey, this is what's going on. Will you agree with me in prayer? Or can you walk me through this? He's got to be a counselor. And because the Lord has... has put him, this isn't an occupation, this isn't a normal job, it's a call. So the Lord has, has imparted to him a care and a concern and a love for each one of us. And he carries that burden when we call him, when we ask him to do things, we ask him to pray, we share with our, him our, our, our failures or our concerns, he carries that. And one of the things that these, these pastors expressed in the, in the study that they did The one thing that helps them get through it all, the ones that stay stay in and stay on, they have an intimate relationship with the Lord, but they also feel um, loved, appreciated, and affirmed by the body of Christ where they are ministers. So by doing this, it's just a great way to say thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. You mean so much to us. And so next week... I think we're going to actually have a presentation. We're going to present him with the cards, and we're going to say some things, maybe pray over him. So I just want to give you a heads up to, you know, if you haven't filled out your card yet, get it out there. Let's bless him and his family.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to serve. A couple announcements that I want to go over uh, this morning. October 29th, uh, there's something happening on October 29th. There's a new name that's going to be coming for the church. Have you heard? Let's hear it. Oh, get behind me, Satan. October 29th, we're going to be releasing the new name of the church, and, and thank you so much for being good sports for the most part about it. I've only received a handful of death threats, one from a popular church tambourine player. (laughs) When I walked into the office Monday morning and Sue rabe, sweet, sweet Sue rabe, from down the hallway said, you. And in a loving tone said, I'm going to throw things at you, Pastor. (laughs) Thank you for being good sports, everyone except Sue. Um, about, About the new name, we recognize as a leadership team that God has led us into a new season. And scripturally, when God leads people into new seasons, you'll notice that a name change happens. And there's, of course, a variety of reasons as to why that is. But we recognize in this season as C3 Church, the last week that we will be C3, is that God has led us into an incredible season. And not only is this new title a recognition of the season that he has led us into, but also it's recognizing that God isn't done yet come on somebody. God's got a plan. Amen. He's just getting warmed up. Amen, church. So October 29th, we have a a special service that's going to be happening that day. And also following the service, we're still going to host, I can't call it a business meeting because we're not sovereign. And I'll explain that next week, but we're going to have a church powwow. Uh, if you and if you are a current member, you definitely need to be there. If you plan on becoming a member, you definitely need to be there. It's somewhat of an open meeting. But we just want to hand out, we're going to be handing out our Constitution and bylaws before our uh, our official business meeting here in the upcoming weeks. We're going to be setting a date to that uh, reschedule. For those of you who are, have been in the loop with us, you know we had to reschedule our business meeting so that we can become sovereign. And if you're new with us, uh, first off, can we just welcome any first-time visitors this morning, church? Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you feel loved and at home. But some of this language that I'm using makes no sense, and that's okay. You belong here. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so with this this business meeting, or excuse me, this meeting that we're going to be having, we're going to set some plans up for whenever we go But We're going to be handing out a financial report. We're also going to be handing out a constitution and bylaws so that you can get familiar with it before we vote on accepting that constitution and bylaws as a church. Is everybody with me so far? Awesome. We're also going to be going over some things as far as land updates. I've been asked the question, pastor, so we bought the land, right? It's ours. No, we put the land under contract so that we could investigate the land, do site testing and find out if the land that we're looking to buy is feasible. If it's a good plan for us, if they come back and say, Hey, we tested it. You can't even put a well on that property. Then obviously we're going to take that as a sign from the Lord to move on. Making sense? And so we want to prepare the membership because according to our constitution and bylaws, when we as a church spend more than 10% of our annual income, we need approval from the membership. And so we're going to be setting up some uh, future plans as far as the meetings that you can anticipate. If we keep uh, receiving good reports that everything on the site is getting tested well, then we're going to start organizing for a membership vote to purchase the land. But how many of you know, wouldn't it make sense? to have meeting after meeting of saying, hey, we're looking into this land. We might get it. Uh, Stay tuned for the next meeting. How many of you know that? We have a lot going on in our lives. We don't have time for that. Come on, somebody. We're also going to be introducing some new additional board members we've seen so much growth here at the church that we've recognized that two to three board members isn't sufficient. So we've added to those board members. Some may say, well, why can't we vote on those board members yet? Because we're not sovereign yet. So it's kind of like this. You have to have a home team before you start making player trades. Does that make sense? So when it comes to our board, you have to have a base before we go sovereign. And then as we move on into maturity as a church, then the membership starts voting in those positions. Everybody with me so far? We're going to go into more details over some of these things at the meeting when? Jesus, help us. (laughs) October 29th. Everybody say it. Ready? One, two, three. So again, we've been receiving a variety of questions asking about church governance and so on and so forth, and I just want to encourage you, hang in there. We're almost there. Attend this meeting so that we can all be on the same page and move forward together. Sound good? Awesome. Also want to throw out there Veterans Day. We have an incredible Veterans Day event coming up. Please, church, help me get the word out. As a matter of fact, if you have your phones on you, which we all know you do, I see you texting during my sermons. (laughs) If you can if you can pull out your phone, I'll give you permission, go for it. Pull out your phone and go to our Facebook page. You'll see an event for this Veterans Day. We're, we're, we're calling it an outreach. Go to the Facebook page and share this event. Get the word out. Did you know that in Lehigh Valley there's somewhere upwards of 20 to 30,000 veterans? Isn't that incredible? And we our job on Veterans Day is to get veterans in and make sure that our veterans feel appreciated and valued and know how much of a blessing they are. And more so than that, this Veterans Day is extra special because we're going to be having a chaplain come in, and he's going to be leading the service. Incredible, incredible chaplain. I cannot brag on him enough. He has served both in Afghanistan as well as Iraq and incredible testimonies, and he's going to be presenting a gospel message. Please, if you are a veteran, come. Come. If you know a veteran, bring them. Help us get the word out because we are believing for lives to be reached and lives to be changed on the Sunday before Veterans Day. Amen, church? Amen. 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 So please share that Facebook post, handout invites. We're, we just ordered in a new batch of invites. Next week, we're going to hit the ground running. You can stop in the, uh, at the church in the middle of this week to help us with that. I love, so appreciate our women's ministry coordinator who told us a story of how she grabbed a stack of these invites, went to Chick-fil-A and said, hey, can you hand these out? It's a part of a church event. And can you believe that they said, my pleasure? And they handed them out all day long at the Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. So I want to encourage you. We're ordering, a cup, ordering in a couple hundred of these. Take them to your gym. If you don't go to a gym, get a gym membership. Take them to the gym. Them, hand them out. Leave them at the grocery store checkout lines. I want to encourage you. Help us get the word out. Sound good? Awesome. Awesome. Hey, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12, that's where we're going to be spending a majority of our time uh, together here this morning. Again, that's Romans chapter 12. Today is the final week of our series titled, When Evil's No Longer Hiding and Everyone Said... Wow, well, that's heartbreaking. We were going for awe. And everyone said, there we go. Jesus in Matthew chapter twenty four is asked about signs for the end times. What is it going to look like? What are the signs going to be that that precede your return? And he gives this list of of to many of us that are many of us are familiar with. He gives us this list and he talks about false teachers and, And prophets pulling people away from the faith. And something that I find ironic is when it comes to false teachers, every Christian thinks that they're not in their church. He talks about persecution and persecution increasing. He talks about natural disasters increasing and this being equivocated to birthing pains. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. And then Jesus says, he says, as wickedness increases, the love of most will grow cold. And what Jesus is teaching us in this word in the Greek actually means cold, similarly to a dead body. That there's no life in it anymore. And he actually says this, and you'll notice that he doesn't just say there'll be no love in the world. He, he kind of uses this as a covering for, to include church, and we read about this in Revelation where we read about a church that, that, that forsook its first love. And so I think, church, that, that it becomes a warning for us to make sure that our love doesn't get cold. And can we be real this morning, church? How many of you are willing to admit by show of hands that it is difficult to maintain a fervent, passionate love for others each and every day? Oh, yeah, some of y'all are getting released right now. Chains are just breaking. So we're somewhat warned that you and I have to make sure that 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 flame of love in our hearts doesn't grow cold. Because it's not just a warning for the world, it's a warning for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. There are signs in our culture here in 2023, all around us, that our love has gone, has grown cold. I don't want to spend too much time on this list because I feel like sometimes we come to church to escape some of these reports that I'm about to give. And so if you'd please forgive me for that. There are signs all around us that our love in people, us has grown cold. I remember years ago, there was a game that was overtaking all the major cities in our nation titled the knockout game, where teenagers would run up on specifically innocent people, specifically elderly people and mothers who weren't paying attention and would strike them on the back of the head as a part of the game, trying to knock them out and then would flee the scene. We experienced a new level of lawlessness just a few years ago when a mostly peaceful protest caused more than $2 billion worth of damage. We watched on our news channels horrific scenes of business owners who poured out blood, sweat, and tears to make a living, see their businesses burned down, and to see them beaten and left along the sidewalk. We live in a nation right now where if you kill a sea turtle egg, you can face prison time and up to $50,000 of time. But if you take the life of a child in the womb, you're celebrated and it's titled courageous. We see blatant corruption as as there are various court cases that occur on our mainstream news. And all of a sudden the case is completely dropped because someone had enough money. We see that love has grown cold when mainstream society has rejected the very thought of standing up for the most innocent among us, and they come against movies that seek to raise awareness about child trafficking. And in the midst of this despicable, detestable culture, in the midst of this culture, you and I are faced with the challenge to make sure that our love Doesn't grow cold. Seems like an impossible task, doesn't it? And throughout all of this, all of these occurrences and happenings in our nation, there's a common feeling, even represented in this sanctuary here this morning. There's a common feeling that you and I, that we are all suffering at the hand of evil. And the problem with this is if you have ever suffered from great evil, you know how easy it is for evil to overcome you. Anybody with a real testimony here this morning? It's easy for those who come from a testimony of heartache and being being assaulted by evil circumstances or evil people. You know how easy it is to allow evil to define you for what has been done to you to dominate your life. And it, when it dominates your life, when, when, when evil dominates your life or hurt, then it, it affects the depths of your heart to the point where it, it can impact your mood, your emotions, and your attitudes. It weighs on you, and it, it causes you to, to have a difficult time processing feelings of hate and anger and revenge. And little by little, as these feelings that stem from the overall feeling of like we're all suffering from evil, as this settles into our hearts, we as the church, we as Christ's followers, are at risk of letting our love grow cold. Scripture tells us, though, that the evil that you have suffered does not need to define you. Come on, somebody. What has happened to you, what has happened to us, does not need to define us. It is Christ alone who defines us. God says in his word that you and I are in Christ. God's word says, do not be overcome by the evil that surrounds you or the evil that has been done to you. Something better is possible for you, but only possible in Christ. Come on, somebody. You can overcome evil with good, and that's our objective in 2023. As Christians, we are called to fight evil. It's a part of our God-given purpose. You and I are never once called to bow down to the idols that culture demands us to bow to. As Christians, we're called to fight evil. So it's kind of like, well, pastor, where do we start with that, right? Like, there's an extensive list here that we've got to go through. Where do we start with? Well, I would say first and foremost, pray. All right, good to see some Christians made it out today. (laughs) I'm running on very little sleep, so my snarkiness may be increased. We need to pray. Nothing happens without prayer. I will forever say that you're here today, not by coincidence, you're here by divine appointment. You're here because there was a prayer team a little bit more than three years ago, three to four years ago, who took the time to pray over every seat and prayed that your life would be sitting in this place. Nothing happens without prayer. Where do we start with fighting evil? We need to raise up godly leaders in every sphere of life, in schools, in business, in the arts, in politics, and so on and so forth. We need to teach our children about faith in Jesus Christ. Parents, this is your second objective in life. Your first is that you love Jesus. We need to teach our children the biblical difference between right and wrong, or the world will teach them a different morality. We need a renewed passion as a church, a renewed passion for evangelism and church planting. And all of these things are vital and important, but they must be led by a biblical principle that far surpasses their importance. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Did you know that the Bible gives you permission to hate? Right? Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I love this challenge. Outdo one another. It's showing honor. So we see first and foremost that overcoming evil begins with genuine love. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says that love must be sincere. Love being sincere translates to to sound like this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Real love fights for relationships, real love honors other people even when they're not around. Real love doesn't assume the worst in others, it assumes the best. Real love never entertains gossip. Real love is driven by patience and motivated by grace. It is such a genuine love that people don't have to question if you're doing things just to get something in return. How many of you know that that is the pattern of love in our world? I will love you so much as you meet my prerequisites. I will love you so much as you are good for me, and then once I get what I need, then our deal is over. In other words, Christians are called not to a fake attitude of love for each other, but a genuine attitude and heart of love for one another. You and I are called to find ways to express God's love meaningfully. Find ways. If you want to impact the world around you, if you want to make sure that your love doesn't grow cold and that you are in return showing Christ-like love to others, then you and I have to find ways to express God's love meaningfully. Let me break this down for a moment. As a pastor, a part of the, my job and what I do, my calling and what I do is is I officiate various ceremonies. Shocking, right? I officiate not only funeral services, but what I really enjoy is weddings. And if you were to ever try and say, hey, Pastor Nani, can, can you do my, me and my, my fiancé's a, 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 a wedding ceremony? Then you can be prepared for a couple weeks of what we call premarital counseling. It's like boot camp, Show up with your sweats. No one gets out alive. I'm just kidding. It's fun. Take the class. And so with this premarital counseling class, one of the prerequisite books that I highly recommend for anyone, I've referenced it many, many times before, is a book called The Five Love Languages. It is so imperative because this five love languages really breaks down what we're talking about here out of Romans 12, that you have to show love in meaningfully ways. And and hear me, meaningfully ways, as in it means something to the other person. Five love languages, it reveals that sometimes we become selfish even when it comes to communicating love that we often communicate love in the way that we want to receive love without even considering how the other person wants to receive love. For example, some people, their love language is a meaningful gift. It means the world to them that you didn't just buy something for them because it was on sale. Husbands, listen up, take notes. (laughs) You didn't buy something just because it was on sale. For somebody who says, you know what, my love language is gift giving, it means that your gift meant something that you thought about them. You thought about their likes and their dislikes. This is really good stuff for the husbands this morning, I'm just saying. That you thought about their likes and their dislikes, what speaks to their heart, and you purchased a gift based off of that criteria, not your own. For some, it's physical touch, a hug, or if it's your spouse holding hands, it makes that person feel valued. It causes their heart to well up. For some, it's acts of service that cause them to feel love, a helping hand or coming over to help them fix something or getting chores done around the house, whatever it may be, that means the world to them. And that speaks love to them on their level. The point of this book is this, find out how others receive love and show them love. And ultimately that's genuine love. Genuine love is whenever you push yourself aside, consider the other person, and do what is best for them. Come on, somebody. And in Romans 12, if you want to make sure that your love doesn't grow cold, you and I are called to think about others more than we think about ourselves. And it's from that genuine love, from that place of genuine love, when things really start to change. Overcoming evil means this, just like Romans chapter 12, that we hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You see, some of us, we, we rip this scripture off where we say, okay, I hate what is evil. Now what? And we forget the latter part, cling to what is good. Pastor, how can, how can love and hate be a part of the same command Isn't that contradicting? Well, scripturally, we have to recognize that sin damages our lives and takes advantage of the innocent, and that breaks the heart of God. And if you and I are going to have the same heart that God has, then you and I are called to hate the same things that he does. And did you know that God is passionately against sin? Amen, church. As a culture, it's the weirdest thing how we've gotten this weird Christian hybrid that says you can love Jesus and he's not concerned with the way that you live, and that's just a lie from the pit of hell. Christ is deeply concerned with the way you live, so much so that he died to redeem not just your eternity, but your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 10, let Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Paul says this let your love be sincere. And then Paul goes on to teach us what sincere looks like. He's listing out genuine love and he says, if your love is real and sincere, it will look like developing a hate for things that are evil. Hating what is sinful and evil is an expression of love. And again, I want to be clear on this because I think that it's common knowledge, at least here in this place today, that that we're receiving a contradicting or a contrary gospel in our world here today that says love is to embrace. No matter what lifestyle, no matter what behavior, if you really love that person, you will not only embrace them, but you will approve of and accept all that they do and all that they say. And actually, Scripture says if you really love that person, you're going to hate sin. Hating what is sinful and evil is an expression of love. And I'm not talking about, and again, we're going to get to this in a moment, not talking about hating people. It's a vast difference. Obviously, hating things that we naturally gravitate towards is difficult. Can I get a witness? So it's kind of like, well, pastor, how how do I maintain hate for what is evil? Well, he gives us the answer. Paul says, hate evil by clinging to what is good. What does it look like to cling to good? You see, some people, have you ever met someone who just loves drama in their life? Dear Lord, do not point to your neighbor at this moment. Some of you, I can see the grin on your face. You're like, (laughs) don't do it. Some people, they love conflict, they can't have relationships without drama without belittling the other person. They can't have a conversation where you're like, hey, how are you doing? I'm good, but have you heard of how so-and-so's doing? Some people, that their relationships flow out of this obsessive passion for conflict, and someone that struggles with this, they have to learn how to love peace and seek to uplift others and seek to be content, meaning they have to learn to cling to what is good, to cling to peace. If you don't know how to socialize without having an alcoholic beverage in your hand, if you don't know how to socialize without waking up the next day hungover, can we be real this morning? Then you've got to learn how to redefine what it means to go out. And this involves clinging to healthy habits of socialization. It's not enough just to say, I hate those things. We as a church are really good at throwing out commands without giving the manual. We're really good at throwing out, hey, don't do this. But did you know the follow-up process to that is how? By clinging to what is good. It's not enough just to hate evil. We've got to work on replacing it with good things. Is is this making sense this morning, church? If there are relationships in your life that tempt you to be influenced and bring you into sin in your life, you've got to learn to cultivate friendships that are rooted in Christ. There is such such things as healthy biblical boundaries. Cling to the good, Christ-centered friendships. Do you see the pattern here? Does this make sense? It's not enough just to hate something, and we stop the process nine out of ten times at that, at just shouting at the world and saying, don't teach that to our kids. Don't do this. And and there is a time and place for that, but we've got to work on our follow-up process. Amen? if you're not happy with the curriculum that your children are being taught in your school, which by the way, you shouldn't be happy with the curriculum that is being taught to your kids in school, then you and I have to take a stance to not only shout and raise a banner and say, stop teaching this, but offer alternative curriculum that leads them in a better way. Every area of our lives, it's not enough to just And sometimes we pray for this over and over and over again until we're blue in the face. I'm just going to stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning. Replace. For everything that you struggle with, God has something better for you. Satan counterfeits. It's what he does. So whatever Satan offers, God has something better, more beneficial for your life it's not enough to just hate evil. Evil must be replaced. This is Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired strategy. He says, if we are going to overcome evil by doing, we we are going to overcome evil by doing these things out of genuine love and replacing evil behavior with Christ-centered good behavior. Notice that scripture doesn't say, hate who is evil. It says, hate what is evil. Our calling is to win people to Christ. Amen, church? There's no such thing as hating someone to Jesus. Remember that the enemy isn't people. The enemy is Satan. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. And outdo one another in showing honor. Overcoming evil means that this genuine love is displayed in a brotherly way. There are two specific Greek words in Romans chapter 12 used for the word love. The first one in verse 9 is philestrogos which is descriptive of a familiar love. It's kind of like this. It's the kind of love where do you have those relationships in your life where when you're with a certain person, you don't have to worry about coming up with the topics for the conversation. You guys know what what I'm talking about? Those kind of friends where it's actually the opposite, where you get so caught up in conversation that you look at the time and you're like, man, where did the time go? It's also, it's that kind of familiar love, as in this person, typically it's a childhood best friend, they know the embarrassing details to your life, and they don't hold it over your head. They'll call you on the carpet whenever it's time for you to have accountability, but they'll do so in a loving manner. This kind of love, it it doesn't feel self-conscious about the discussions that you have. It's just free-flowing. And then this other word for love in the Greek in verse 10, used for brotherly affection, is what we are very, or at least we should be familiar with this term, Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a reference to brotherly love. Did you know that Satan is in the business of trying to destroy what God names? And it is no coincidence that Philadelphia... A biblical word for brotherly love, and yet we're familiar with some of the things that happen in this city. Pray for Philadelphia. But Philadelphia, it's what it says, It, it just like it's descriptive in, in verse 10. It's Philadelphia means the affection of a family that comes from long-term familiarity and deep bonds. This is another level of love. Of course, it, it, with this love, it's kind of like this. Of course, you can have disagreements and get mad, but let someone pick on your brother and the family affection shows in a powerful side. Have you ever met brothers like that or siblings like that where it's like they didn't even like each other? They, you would never guess that they loved one another, but then comes along the schoolyard bully and it's like all of a sudden they have a newfound love for one another and they're willing to die for each other. Does anybody have siblings like that? And we don't get along nine out of 10 times, but the one time that we do, it's when we're fighting off bullies. And the kind of love that we're called to is, is this, that you and I might have disagreements, that you and I might walk away from something going, man, I don't understand their perspective. But when evil comes to face us, we're right there with one another willing to take on the fight. This kind of love comes with a shared loyalty and a sense of belonging that surpasses most normal friendships, and this is the kind of love that you and I are called to for one another. You and I can make sure that our love doesn't grow cold by loving brothers and sisters in Christ as brothers and sisters. So, pastor, how do we develop brotherly love for one another? First and foremost, remember the love that Jesus showed you. Your being and who you are flows from your relationship in Jesus Christ. It is from our relationship with Jesus that we learn what true love is. How many of you know that you cannot give away that which you do not possess yourself? It is from our love of Jesus that we are compelled to to offer grace that doesn't make any sense. You and I do not naturally have grace and mercy, but with Jesus, these things can flow out of our lives. Worship team, would you make your way forward this morning? How do we develop brotherly love for one another? Understand that loving others is God's command. Loving each other, it's not just a cute promotional gimmick that the church uses for marketing purposes. Loving each other within the body of Christ is a command given by God. In other words, on judgment day, you and I will answer for how we treated our brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about the gravity of that statement. If it is a command given by God, That means that someday when we stand before Him on Judgment Day, we will give an answer for how we treated our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if it's a command by God, given by God, then you and I should take on the weight of that responsibility kind of like this. Scripture says that God's Word is eternal. From His mouth came life. From God's Word came. In his word alone, the planets are formed, and you and I have existence. And from that same word, that same eternal word, he looks at us and gives us the command to love one another with brotherly and sisterly affection. I think that loving each other is highly undervalued in today's culture. We like to talk about, you know, show me the blessing. We love to gravitate towards teachings that are predicated on, on, again, what can I reap from this the most? We gravitate towards worship and teachings on prayer and so on and so forth. We gravitate towards all these different teachings, but when was the last time that you gravitated towards a teaching that taught you how to put up with others? I believe that in these last days that God prioritizes us loving each other and he's looking for the church to move that up on our priority list. How do we develop a brotherly love for one another? Don't dishonor the work of God by focusing on the works of the flesh. Don't dishonor the work of God by focusing on the works of the flesh. We're all a work in progress. Come on, somebody. Every single one of us has rough edges that are, smooth, are, are currently undergoing work to be smoothed out. Even as Christians, each and every one of us still have worldly tendencies that we are currently working through. And we shouldn't be surprised when these worldly tendencies sometimes make an appearance. When a brother or sister in Christ is having those those rough areas smoothed over and God is working on them with that, let's be the voice of encouragement. Amen, church? Don't miss out on the incredible work of God's transformational goodness because we're frustrated with someone. Jesus' precious blood has redeemed them just like it redeemed you. Don't cast them aside because they're still growing. Amen? Amen? How do we develop a brotherly love for one another? Lastly, preach to yourself before preaching to others. If you don't say amen, you can say ouch. Preach to yourself before you preach to others. Our love for others will grow cold when you and I stop examining ourselves. The fastest pathway to having a heart that is cold towards others is for you and I to stop the spiritual self-examination process in our life. Without spiritual self-examination, we run the risk of becoming Pharisees, driven by the law, condemning people with God's word, and seeing ourselves as all righteous. It's just too easy to talk about loving others and flip the script and say, well, this is what others need to do for me to love them. A question that I was challenged a few years ago to ask myself that will forever remain as a question that transformed my marriage and my life that calls me to self-examination is this. Would I want to be married to me? Why wouldn't I? Yeah, you're laughing because you know what's going on. Your immediate answer is probably filled with panic. Ask yourself the question, would I want to be married to me? And some of you are like, nope, I would have left me a long time ago. That that. And if you're like, well, I'm, I'm not sure, then create the following list. Why wouldn't you want to be married to you? And it's this list that reveals in us what we need to seek the Lord's help with working on. If I'm going to seek relationships that are open and trusting, then I'm going to have to be a relationship that offers a candidness and trust. If I'm going to seek relationships that see me at my worst and still love, then I have to see others at their worst and still love them. Before I start telling others how they should love, I have to preach to myself and love more like Jesus. It's what we're all called to do. I love the passage of the Last Supper where all of the disciples have come in and they've sat down for this last meal and Jesus drops a bomb on everyone and he says, one of you will betray me. And it says this, they all ask the question, is it me? And I think that that's a question that you and I are still called to here in 2023 of self-examination when you and I look at our own hearts and say, Lord, is it me? Has my heart grown cold? Have I forsaken a brotherly love even when it comes to the body of Christ? Is my love genuine or am I looking for something in return? It's these kind of self-examination questions, church, that will allow your love to grow. It not only fan to flame your love, but it'll hold you accountable and it will help your love flow from a genuine place. Why must we remember love? Why is love so vital to the plan in reaching the world? Because we're taught scripturally, church, and this is our closing point this morning, that love is never fails. Never fails. Don't ever underestimate the power of love. As the world grows darker and colder, the love of Christ becomes brighter and more desired. First century Christianity baffles historians to this day. The movement started in a small village and spread so rapidly that it seems like almost immediately after Jesus' resurrection... Empires were writing down in historical manuscripts stories about Christians. Historians are baffled at the rate at which Christianity spread and the transformation that it brought along with it, taking some of the most horrific groups known in history of pagans and turning them into dedicated Christ centered Christians. How did this happen? Throughout history, the church has flipped the world upside down through what they define as love or as Christ defines as love. One article said this, when a devastating plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, Christians were the only ones who cared for the sick, which they did at the risk of contracting the plague themselves. Meanwhile, pagans were throwing infected members of their own families into the streets right before they died in order to protect themselves from the disease. And this love had a ripple effect in culture. First century Christianity, culture, their modern day practice of abortion was to leave a baby, a child, out in the elements in the wilderness to either die by the elements or die by predators. Some babies were picked up and taken into slavery. But then there's the Christians compelled by genuine love and story after story after story of Christians specifically going out into the wilderness to listen for the cries of children who were rejected and taking them in as their own and caring for them. This is Love transformed the world as we know it. Church, there is story after story after story that we could go through about how genuine brotherly love changed people, changed kingdoms and kings as they observed this kind of genuine warm love in a cold world. Do we have this love? And if so, how are we showing it? Because I believe now more than ever, you and I have been given an opportunity to exemplify this kind of love. Have you you noticed how the world seems so numb? I'm telling you, this kind of love brings in all the feelings. And when it is lived out and exemplified, In a Christian's life, people will begin to ask questions and your witness will grow. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye closed, and I want to ask you this question Has your love grown cold? Jesus says in the last days that the love of many will grow cold. And I believe that we are heading towards the last days. Therefore, we're susceptible to this temptation to just grow numb along with the culture, to step back. But I believe that Christ is calling us out of that. And I want to ask you the question, has your love grown cold? And are you willing to let it grow warm again with Christ's help? And so as we close out this service today, of course, the the immediate action point of this service is go, love others, show the love of Christ, replace evil with good. But before we get there, I think that you and I have an obligation to reach out to Jesus because the only way that we are going to attain love in this world is if we seek the Lord and his help. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I need to pursue his love again because I'm struggling. If that's you, and we're just going to be real for a moment, if that's you, would you just lift your hand and hold it up on high as a, again a sign of surrender? If that's you, come on, church. If you're if you're struggling to keep that love going, and you're saying, Pastor, culture has been infecting my spirit. I've been trying to keep my head up of the water. I, I'm not thinking positively. I, I'm just waiting for the triumphal return of Jesus. I'm, I've been absent minded. I haven't been doing the the will of God. I, I, I'm just kind of waiting this whole thing out, or maybe there's some bitterness that has seeped in. Maybe you feel inflicted by evil on a personal level. You're like, pastor, I feel like I've been taken beating after beating after beating these past couple years. And friend, if that's you, Jesus wants to remove those burdens off of your life and not only introduce you to a love, but with his love comes freedom. And today he wants to impart that freedom on your life. If that's you, would you just hold your hands up high if you're ready for that? And would you in your own words just begin to ask him, Lord, would you fill me with your love? It's something that Pastor Donnie can't give this to you. Gary can't come back up here and give this to you. Ministry leaders in this place can't give this to you. This is a love that only comes from Jesus. And some of you are like, pastor, it doesn't make sense. I know, it doesn't. All of a sudden, you're standing there asking him, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? And all of a sudden, you start to feel these harsh, hardened feelings on your life begin to just melt away. It doesn't make sense. It only comes from Jesus. So for these next few moments, friend, for the sake of your life, for the sake of your children, for the sake of being an effective witness, for the sake of being the kind of church that Jesus is looking for before his return, would you begin to just chase after his love this morning? Say, Jesus, help me. In your own words, would you begin, and you know whatever it is, the different areas that you've been struggling with, would you begin to speak those out and identify them and say, Jesus, help me to show love. And you fill in the blank, in the workplace, in my home, help me. Maybe it's affected your attitude and you've been one of those those Christians known as a grumpy Christian. And Jesus wants to remove that title off of your shoulders. Friend, when you and I are so consumed with bitterness, I'm telling you, our love grows cold. For these next couple seconds before we sing, This last course is our declaration, recognizing his love that is poured out in our life so that we can pursue, not only pursue his love, but give his love away. Would you make sure that you don't leave this place with regret, but seek the Lord and his help, and I'm telling you, he'll show up. Worship team, would you lead us? Church, would you sing this out?
0: Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Sing, Jesus. Jesus paid it all.
1: Praise the one who paid my debt. We thank you for this love that pursues us on our worst day. That we have been so freely given but came at a cost. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that again we would go and reach the world, not hating the world. Yes, hating evil, but not hating the people in this world that you died for. Help us, God, to walk around not carrying the weight of bitterness and anger. But Lord, I pray that we would leave this place carrying a much lighter burden. Lord, help us to leave this place keeping those chains of bitterness here and walking in the freedom that you died for. Help us, Lord Jesus, to show love unconditionally. Help us, Lord Jesus, to not grow cold in these last days, but would you fan to flame a heart, Lord, that seeks you, loves you, and shows love to others. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, again, may we go with your favor and your anointing. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and if you believe God's gonna do it, would you give him one more shout of praise this morning, church? Amen. Let's go in power and love. Amen, church? Amen. God bless you as you go with the Lord. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.